Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Brandon Williams. Uh, Brandon is a results-oriented leader, a business speaker, uh, and the reason we're bringing him on the show today is he's got some amazing experience. Back in the day, he was uh, in the U.S. Air Force F-15 fighter pilot, uh, has deep expertise in human factors, uh, in, in fact, worked in the Air Force around safety, is also a joint professor uh, on the topic of human factors, as well as a few others that are related to safety. So, Brandon, welcome to the show. Really happy to have you with me today. Thanks, Eric. I uh, appreciate it and humbled to be uh, to invited to be on the podcast and always happy to talk about uh, safety, human factors or leadership or any all the above. So thank you. <laughs> Excellent. So maybe why don't you start a little bit about some of your background as a fighter pilot, but also how it evolved into flight safety, uh, airline pilot, and the passion you have for it, and particularly for this topic that's so critical around human factors and understanding human error. Absolutely. Well, uh, I went to the United States Air Force Academy. So that's where I got ever since I was a little boy, I want to be a pilot, I think. So I come from the Atlanta, Georgia area. I still live here now, my wife and two small children. But going to the Air Force Academy, graduating out of there, went on to Air Force pilot training. And that was probably my first exposure to, you know, what what we call HROs, high reliability organizations. So getting into that world, and that's where it first started, I would say, Uh, whether you want to talk about my aviation experience or flying or safety or anything like that, it really started there. Uh, Going to Air Force pilot training, went on to fly F-15Es, like you said. I served 12 years active duty. Uh, in that time, I, in addition to being a pilot, also was involved in flight safety. So I went to the Air Force Flight Safety School, which sure. qualified me to be a what they call a safety officer. So every unit, every organization, the flying organization in the Air Force mm-hmm. has a safety officer whose job it is to uh, you know maintain and monitor, run safety programs, uh, you're qualified to do safety investigations or mishaps, mm-hmm. so you're part of safety boards, and you come up with recommendations and and do all that. So that was really a fun experience, getting to do that and, and seeing a whole other side of that. Um, but also served in several leadership roles in my time in the military. You know, common misconception, I think, is, is as fun as it would be just to fly airplanes and that's it. Uh, <laughs> you know, a military organization is like anything else, so we still have budgets and programs and people to manage and – uh, you know, you name it, all the, the non-fun stuff, if you will. So right. uh, several, leaders, several leadership roles there, leading people and organizations. Um, got out of active duty, like I said, after about 12 years, went into the Air Force Reserves, just part-time. Um, and at that time, I also was kind of at a crossroads of, of what I was going to do. Part of me wanted to uh, go into the business world, start my own mm-hmm. business, uh, go into some kind of management consulting or, or even safety related because you know, I had that experience. Sure. And the other part of me wanted to go be an airline pilot. 
and still start my own business. So that's that's actually what I ended up doing, <laughs> kind of <laughs> trying to have the best of both worlds, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I have been a pilot at a major airline uh, for several years now and also started – and I also got into uh, actually management consulting, leadership mm-hmm. development uh, around that time. Did that for about seven or eight years. I uh, still do that off and on, involve workshops, keynotes, speaking, strategy consulting. Mm-hmm. And then um, started my own business called Lead Tac, which is leading tactically. And uh, that really involves taking the idea of human factors and a lot mm-hmm. of those things we talked about as in the Air Force, training as a fighter pilot, how we operate in complex environments, mm-hmm. and how that it's kind of two sides to it. I, I go and I talk to businesses and companies and it, all different industries, just mm-hmm. taking business leaders, how they lead from a human factors perspective, sure. how we can help them mitigate error in their teams, kind of taking those those aspects of HROs, high reliability organizations, and taking that to a, a business setting or, sure. or any kind of team. And then also I still uh, stay in the human factors safety world. So things we're talking about and how we establish, you know, the, these ideas of human factors, how we help mitigate human error, all kind of different stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about some of it here, mm-hmm. but but it involves that too. And then for the last 10 years, I've also, as you said, I've also been a adjunct professor where I've actually designed and built and I teach uh, safety courses, human factors courses, uh, some other aviation courses and, and management courses. So a lot of stuff going on, um, but you know it, it's awesome because I, I, I think I'm one of the luckiest people in the world because I would get to wake up and kind of do – you know, a lot of stuff that I've always wanted to do. So um, that's me and my background. And yeah, the Air Force definitely set that up and I mean, set the stage clearly for for what I do now. That, that's awesome. So uh, can you you talked about human error? Can you can you share a little bit about that concept? Because I think w- when when we first connected, the part that's always impressed me is airline aviation has probably done the most leaps and bounds of, of any sector in understanding where human error is going to happen and how do you reduce the risk of doing it? So uh, I, I started in the airline industry as well. I got to see it firsthand. It's a, it's a very different mindset. So, so talk a little bit about this concept of human error and how it transposes to businesses that often blame the individual as opposed to try to think about what's the right thing. And, and, and error, we all make errors. We all make mistakes. Absolutely. You just said it there, uh, right there to error is human, right? I mean, that's what makes us human. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times in, in modern society and, and, and you hear people that want to fix human error by saying, well, we'll take the human out of the process, put more technology into it, which don't get me wrong. Technology is definitely a way to mitigate human right. error. Absolutely. Yes. However, um, you know, when you look at it from a human factor standpoint and how you want to really reduce human error, the human is seen more as a as a, uh, a variable that can actually affect change. For the better, if that makes sense, by helping reduce Sorry. human error. And there's many different ways. That's a simple way to put it, but but that's kind of my approach to what I call human factors leadership. And mm-hmm. like you said, the aviation world, I think, kind of in a way, led a lot of this. I mean, and and I think the reason why that was in the 1970s, early 80s, when the jumbo airliner was mm-hmm. you know at its heyday, a lot of them were coming on you would have an airline crash and you think back to if anything, there's anything about aviation, you know, right. the names of Tenerife. If you say that, you know exactly what that is referring mm-hmm. to the major yes. accident that happened there in the, in the Huge. late seventies. Yep. And so that, that accident actually is, is cited a lot of times as kind of a water. And there was a few of those around that time, mm-hmm. uh, exactly. major aircraft accidents. 
And for those out there not familiar, it was basically the world's worst commercial airline disaster involving two yeah. aircraft colliding on a runway, essentially. That's for people that are running. 247s. So it couldn't get bigger than that. Absolutely. But but the astonishing thing about that is there's two things with that is number one, around that time we realized our experts in the aviation field realized, wait, guys, <laughs> you know, we, we can't afford I mean we we cannot let, you know, we can't have a loss of life of 200 something, 300 something, 500 people. I mean, we, we got to stop what we're doing. Something's not right. Cause we've had aviation accidents since the beginning of aviation. Right. And the classic approach was like, you were talking about the blame and train, right? Like, well, clearly mm-hmm. the, the pilot made an error. That was it. Told people not to do that again. Problem solved, right? Go about your day. <laughs> well, around this time, we started realizing that's not working and yeah. we can't afford to keep operating like this. And this is where the idea of, of human factors and how we mitigate human error from a systems-based approach sure. uh, really comes into play. And so when I, when I say systems-based, I mean, instead of the blame and train approach, focusing on the one individual human error, as you mm-hmm. know, and people in your world know, mishaps don't just happen because of one decision. There right. is a chain of events that lead up to a mishap. So a system-based approach is looking at the entire system. So the or and how that's however you may define that. That's the organization, the culture, the the leadership, the resources, the and and, and as far as the human factors part, the actual state of that human being. So sure. you're talking psychological factors, fatigue, mm-hmm. training. I mean, there's so many different things that go into that. And so how do we mitigate that? And and so big picture, what my model does and what human the really the, the study of human factors is, is looking at mitigating human error from a systems-based approach. So how do we put those stop gaps in the system? Because that, because rarely, I mean, if ever in our society now, professional organizations, does anybody show up to work and say, you know what, I, I'm just not going to bring my A game today. I, right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Just doesn't really happen. I mean, there's yeah. sure there's isolated cases, but that just typically doesn't happen. So right. when we talk about bad apples or we talk about you know, bad performers or bad actors, a lot of times that's, that's human error. That's not mm-hmm. mitigated. And that's any industry. It's not just high reliability or high reliability organizations. Yep. It's not just safe aviation. It's not just the medical world. It's, you know, uh, any kind of business or any kind of team you lead. Sure. And like you said, the aviation world kind of led that. Cause I think we were kind of forced to, um, mm-hmm. because it gets a lot of attention when you crash an airplane, unfortunately in the medical world, which they have caught up and they're doing better. They're still yep. behind us a little bit, but you know, hospital, sadly, I mean, you expect people to, to unfortunately pass away in a hospital. Mm. So it didn't really get the attention that it deserved. Exactly. And, and I think when, when medical kind of the health, health, health and medical world kind of caught up with that and said, Hey, look at what, you know, the aviation world's doing. Look at what the military and aircraft carrier, look at what they do. Look or at nuke nuclear, industry too. nuclear yeah. power industries, another common, exactly. look at what they do. You know, why can we not take some of these, and they're, and they're doing that now. They've been doing that for a while, but it, mm-hmm. it's getting there. But anyway, yeah, that, the whole idea of human errors, like you said, and, you know, if you, if you look up the definition of human error, it, it, it's kind of one of those things. Of, it's like saying, how do you define leadership or how do you define sure. culture? Um, you know, th- there's so many studies on it. it. Probably one of the most – the best ways to describe it is it's really an unintentional outcome based on human action, mm-hmm. um, unintentional human action. Even that one didn't really capture it truly. But it, human factors and, and the idea of human factors leadership, what I do in, in the study of human factors is really looking at human error from a systems-based approach. Mm-hmm. That's great. So it gets into just culture, which is often linked in terms of themes. Um, 
how, how do you create a just culture? What is a just culture? Um, and, and how do you start creating it? Right. So a just culture is really, again, I talked about the blame and train approach to management or, or blame and train approach to mitigating human error. The just culture environment is the, kind of the exact opposite of that. So you know, instead of living in, in, uh, in fear, fear of retribution, fear of what can happen if we point out mistakes or errors or gaps mm-hmm. in the system, a, a just culture encourages that. And the whole idea behind that is because sure. if you can't identify those gaps, if we cover them up or we don't talk about them or we don't bring them up, well, then guess what? I mean, bad things are going to happen. You know, you yes. see this a lot in the business world still because you know, they're, they're, they may lose some money, but they're not going to lose life most likely right. if, if these errors keep happening. And they, whether it's, you know, your own self-preservation, you know, trying to protect uh, loyalty or, or loyalty to someone else in an organization, to a team, you know, trying to just push through, you know, you name it. You really don't see this a lot. I mean, in organization, businesses are so different, their cultures, but you right. just don't see this idea of just culture because that, again, I relate it back to flying in the Air Force mm-hmm. uh, in a fighter squadron, you know, what I call it a just culture in terms of, you know, there was this idea, this environment that every time after we landed, every time after we flew a mission, we went in a room, we conducted what's called an open, honest debrief. You know, like I was talking about the difference between a, a debrief and an investigation or a difference between a just culture and a culture that looks at investigation. So again, you know, what, what is an investigation? You know, you're trying to find blame. You're trying to assign blame 100%. to someone, right? Well, just culture is just the opposite of that. We're not, we're not necessarily concerned about the blame. Uh, yes, we want to fix it. We want to find the root cause. But we're concerned about, you know, fixing the system, right? Again, going yeah. back to a system-based approach. How do we find those errors? How do we find those gaps in the system so that the team or whoever else uh, does this next time doesn't, uh, doesn't make the same mistakes, the same errors, the same ideas and establishing a just culture going back to that, you know, how do we do that? Well, there's several ways I talk about when I work with my clients, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's like anything else. Where where does most stuff always start? Any kind of change, especially when you have the word culture starts at the top, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have team leaders, uh, leaders of an organization, you know, C-suite types, VPs, you know, you name it. And even especially, and I think even more importantly, informal leaders, because I think a lot of times they have more uh, influence than some mm-hmm. of those formal leaders. For sure. You know, when those leader, whoever's in those leadership positions, whatever, and everybody's leader in some sense, like I was saying, when, when you step up and you can admit your shortcomings and you can see that when you go and, and go in a room and you talk about what went wrong, when people see you take that that feedback or when mm-hmm. you can admit your own errors or you even more so when somebody, you know, someone on your team, uh, you know, has some missteps or whatever, when we don't, we, we, there's no retribution, but we say, okay, let's find out why this happened. Right. And it's not Eric's fault. Let's find out what was going on that day. So we look at the environment, you know, maybe Eric, you know, wasn't <laughs> on the right team. Maybe his teammates uh, that were assigned to him were way too inexperienced for this this job or this project. Mm-hmm. Maybe Eric wasn't getting all the information he needed. Uh, you know, maybe Eric has some, you know, uh, personal issues going on at home affecting his his personal stat, you know, because that's a huge, huge part of human factors is, you know, a lot of times what we miss, especially in the business world, that I've, I found exactly opposite of what I experienced in the military is we just show up and work with each other and we have no idea 
what is going on in someone else's life, um, you know, outside of work, which, you know, not that you're trying to pry, but it's getting to know people. It's getting, and that goes back to other stuff that, that we may or may not get into here later is, is when you talk about mutual support and uh, Mm -hmm. morale and, and, and everything like that, how do we establish that? It's really about getting, you know, how you drive this culture of mutual support and getting to know everyone you work with, peer accountability, all that kind of stuff. But a just culture really centers around you got to see leaders that uh, establish that. You got to see leaders that are going to support that. So if someone brings something up, you know, we're we're going to take that input. We're going to fix the system. We're not going to blame sure. and train the person. And the other way, you know, when I when I put a slide up, last thing I'll talk about just culture. When mm-hmm. I talk about it to a group, I'll typically have a slide and it'll say three words on or three ideas. One is decentralized execution. One is peer accountability. And the other is that open, honest debrief I talked about. Sure. And you've got kind of arrows pointing to all of them. And the reason those are all important, I talked about the open, honest debrief. That's where we get our feedback loop, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we get the where we did have our missteps, how we're going to fix it. Decentralized execution is leadership-backed autonomy. So that right. trust you're putting out as a leader so people know that you have their back um, because we all know that one of the biggest motivating factors is, is autonomy. Mm-hmm. And then finally, peer accountability, which is the idea that it's not the bad word accountability where bosses are in accountability, but it's the idea that, you know, that mutual support idea that where sure. I'm not going to do a bad job, not because, you know, I don't want to look bad. I mean, that is one of the reasons, but also I don't want to let Eric down. I don't let the team down. If, if I don't do my job or my role, then mm-hmm. that looks bad on Eric. And I know Eric, I know his family. I don't want him to, to suffer for that. So, you know, it has these three main parts that goes into just culture. You know, a lot of things that go into that, but that's kind of the big picture uh, behind it, if you will. Yeah, and, and I think those, those, you brought a lot of really important points. Um, and, and I want to double click mm-hmm. on your peer accountability comment because uh, yeah. that comes up in a lot of conversations I have with at the, at the boardroom level. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot, though, to, to create the psychological safety for people to speak up. Like I remember in the yes. airline industry, pilots are comfortable raising issues. It's like I fell asleep. We both fell asleep. Um, and they'll raise those themes so something can get done. Uh, right. A lot of businesses, I remember one organization, a mining organization, you had mining, you know, those huge trucks on the right. periphery of an open pit and they would right. regularly tumble down, like regularly, maybe a couple of times a year. Right. And it happened for several years because nobody actually had the comfort to say, I blinked, I fell asleep, uh, right. which is something that you'd have as a given in the airline industry uh, is, is that comfort to, to share those things because otherwise nobody would know. Same as in that truck, nobody knew what happened. There's only one right. operator there. So how, how do you create that? Well, you, you know, going back to the, well, first of all, um, again, I'll, I'll go back to, you've got to have leadership buy-in on it. Okay. So you can't just say, Hey, from now on, when you point out stuff, I'm not going to, you know, let's point out, let's be <laughs> open honest. I mean, we see, we see that talk sure. is cheap, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you see that all the time where, Hey, I, you, open door policy, you tell me anything. And then next thing you know, the <laughs> boss is yelling at you because you, you know, you told him this wasn't a good idea. So right. that, that's the first thing <laughs> is who do you have, you know, in, in certain roles that are uh, going to establish and allow that autonomy, right? Right. Because, you know, allowing that autonomy, knowing that my superior, whoever that may be, Mm-hmm. has my back if they're going to allow give me that decentralized execution authority that ability to go out and make autonomous decisions that's the first thing because sure. no, when we know that people have our back you know i think we're more willing to admit we're more willing to drive that peer accountability if you will 
um, mm-hmm. because we know that someone trusts us to do this. Therefore, right. I'm going to do the best I can, and I want my team to do that way, so I'm going to drive some of that peer accountability. The other thing I go back to is I think about peer accountability um, in a flying organization, in the military. Mm-hmm. So I would think back at a fighter squadron, right? Now, we talk about the military. Um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, in the military, you, you know, you did it because you were told to. You're ordered to do stuff, you know, everybody. Okay, well, yes, we do have a rank structure, and, it, and it's a, that's for a very important reason in a military sure. unit. However, um, first of all, I don't ever remember being, you know, like in the movies you see, you know, ever being told or ordered, you know, you will do this, or I order you to do this. I mean, we don't, right. I don't think we've had firing squads in the military for, <laughs> for several years, you know, you know, things like that. So, More than several years, I think. <laughs> right, right. So I think back on it and I say, you know, what was it that, you know, there was just this idea, this, this kind of couldn't put your, just put your finger on it that, mm-hmm. and this is flying or non-flying. Like I said, we had many jobs we did outside of flying, you know, running in the organization. Uh, running programs, you know, things like that. So mm-hmm. when I think back on it, I say, what was it? And I think it goes back to this idea again, that because of how we train the idea of mutual support, right. Established through morale. And again, getting to know people um, because a lot of times in a military unit, at least in a flying squadron, the people you work with, are a lot of times the people you play with too. So you, mm-hmm. you naturally got to know these people and, and these are the people you go to work with, you know, their families, you know, their kids. Um, and so you, you build that camaraderie morale, which helps enforce that peer accountability because – and it's not the kind of accountability where you're, uh, hey, do this or else. Right. But it's the kind of accountability that you're saying uh, you're picking somebody up because when they're having a bad day or when they're having a misstep, you're going to step in provide that mutual support because you, mm-hmm. um, you want them one day to help you out as well. I mean you want them to see that because you're going to have your days as well. So I think it all goes back to number one, starting at the top. You know, talk mm-hmm. is cheap. Make let them see you do that. Let them see you support people. Let them see you take accountability for your own actions as a leader as well. Because I mean, sure. there's nothing more demoralizing than a leader that either <laughs> a can't admit when they're wrong, or even worse, will blame their team for something when they're wrong. Right. So you know that that's the first thing. And then the second thing is establishing that that mutual support within organizations, establishing that idea of uh, of camaraderie and mm-hmm. you know. The, the idea of morale and how we get to know each other. And there's simple things, just one example. I mean, you know, now in, with a lot of people working remotely um, in business mm-hmm. organizations, especially, you know, it's a little tougher. We have to make a little bit more of an effort to do that. But even when we weren't working remotely, let's be honest. I mean, you know, you go to the office, go do your job. I mean, you may see somebody at the water cooler or, or something like that. Right. But it's like, you know, when you have some time, you know, detach. Um, nobody mm-hmm. likes mandatory fun. But encouraging these, <laughs> these, these, you know, whether it's get-togethers in the office or just take 15, 20 minutes, get the team together and just talk about non-business related stuff. I mean, hey, how's it going? What's going on in your life? You know, what's – how are things going? You know, I heard your dad was in the hospital. How's that going? You know, things like – I mean, getting to know people yeah. and really establishing that, that, uh, that core uh, or know each other. And then the other thing mm-hmm. – I'll, I'll bring an example from the airlines. One thing we've done is um, basically voluntary reporting. And yep. it's not even necessarily anonymous. Um, we call them um, aviation safety uh, action reports. So say mm-hmm. something happens, right? And so we, we say, you know, we're flying along and let's say we miss an altitude or miss a radio call and we sure. catch it and, and nothing bad really happens. We keep going about our day, right? Well, back in the day, mm-hmm. that had been, okay, great. Let's just keep going. You know, nobody knows about it. Right. Well, now not only is it, you know, it, it's encouraged 
to say, hey, re- you know, report that, put those up. And one way it's 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 encouraged by saying, hey, look, if you report this and come forth with this, you know, now say you make a make a minor misstep or make could be a major misstep, and you put this report in, you're essentially, you know, you're kind of raising your hand saying, hey, look, I messed up. Here's what happened. Here's what we did. And so now with all the data that, that are on airplanes, so they, they can see everything we do almost. I mean, they get all this data yeah. that comes back. So they can monitor another key point of, of safety programs. When they when you come back and say, hey, look, here's what we messed up, you're kind of fessing up you know, right away saying, look, right. I'm not trying to hide this. Here's that. So it's almost like a, you know, we're not going to come down on you for something like this, especially if you report. Now, if there's willful disregard different for regulation, story. I mean, that's right. a different story. But for You're the right. most part, all these are, and we get thousands in, in my own company, we get thousands and thousands of these per year mm. of pilots reporting mistakes in there. And it's not anonymous. I mean, they see your name, they see, yep. you know, who, it, who did it, but it's a great reporting program because what it's done is it showed a lot of gaps in the system. So right. they can fix the system. They can, uh, uh, you know, go back. And, and so we don't make those mistakes again. But again, it, it, it's about a culture that says, look, if you can, if we can identify this stuff early up, you know, early on when these things happen, you know, you're not going to get slapped on the wrist for this. You're not going to mm-hmm. get um, any job action taken. Obviously, again, you know, there's there's a one percent that if it's willful, you know, <laughs> disregard you and, or something. Yeah, you try I mean, to hide always, a problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those exceptions, but for the most part, that's one great example of how you you kind of identify that and uh, bring some of that pure accountability in. Yeah, and I, and I love your term around peer accountability because a lot of people see this as removing accountability, but it's not. It's a creating a different level right. of accountability around it, right? And the reason I say that is because I think accountability gets a negative connotation a lot yeah. of times. You know, a lot of times it's I kind of call it the um, you call it the vice print vice principal approach. So the vice <laughs> principal in a you know in school was always kind of the the hammer, the one that was always disciplining, sure. right? So when you think of accountability, I always kind of think of that vice principal that you know, the, the one that's do this or else kind of, kind of <laughs> approach, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to get fired or, or whatever, uh, versus peer accountability, which is that kind of accountability that is, is maintained with your peers, your colleagues, even subordinates or superior. I mean, it doesn't really matter rank. Um, right. it's, yeah, again, it's systems-based thinking where we're all trying to accomplish the same mission, the same task, um, the same objective. Harvard Business Review actually mm-hmm. did a study where they said that in poor performing teams, there's no accountability. In mediocre teams, uh, bosses drive accountability, but in yep. high-performing teams, peers right. and colleagues uh, enforce that accountability. Exactly. And, and I think there's, there's an interesting pivot here because I, I think a lot of organizations, part of the, the struggle when, when you talk about that peer accountability and, and sharing things is if I think about two pilots – they both realize that they need each other to, to support. And, and you'll have the first officer calling the captain out of rank if he right. sees something or she sees something that's that's inappropriate right. or sees a potential error. Uh, right. Where, whereas I've seen sometimes it gets called brother's keeper, but that's not the intent of it. No. Is I'll, I'll, I'll help you cover it up in, in dysfunctional organizations where I'll make sure nobody knows, or in some cases they'll say, sleep it off. So if you're drunk, rather than calling it out, just sleep right. it off in the, in the, in the seat. That's a dysfunctional uh, view of that uh, versus what right. you're talking about is I'm comfortable calling because there's no ramification if you call it out, but I'm dealing with it because we need each other to be successful. Is that fair? Right. Oh, absolutely. And the example you use, I mean, you know, using the, uh, you know, say the, the drunk, <laughs> the drunk <laughs> example you're taught. It's funny you said that because what you'll see now is even in airline interviews now, what they're looking for mm-hmm. people that are, um, 
you know, looking out that they're going to look out for the team, look out for the other person. In, turn, in other words, you know, that used to be a common situational question was you show up to the lobby of the hotel getting ready to go <laughs> and, you know, you notice alcohol in the captain's breath. What are you going to do? You know, you're a new hire. What, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? <laughs> um, what they don't want is someone that's going to, well, I'm going to call the company right away. I'm going to tell the chief pilot that right. this guy is drunk and blah. What they want you to do is number one is, is safety, right? Do not mm. let that captain, you know, do not let them near. Correct. The for that's the first yep. thing, right? Whatever you have to do. Hopefully you don't have to make a scene doing it. <laughs> and they want you to take that situation and, and, you know, uh, deescalate that situation in the best way possible. Right. Right. So how are you going to do that? You know, there's different ways you can phone a friend, you know, you can talk to the captain say, look, man, call in sick. We'll get this taken sure. care of. You know, let's just not get you do not get to the airport. You know, you may get, you may get a slap on the wrist, but you're at least you're not going to sacrifice your license or the company or anything like that by doing this. So that's the first thing. But the other thing they're looking out for really is that you're looking out for the person. Yeah. You know, you're not just going to sell this person out and say, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to call it, you know, company right now and, and call this person out. So, but you're exactly right. I mean, that, that's really um, what it's about. And when you talk about um, two pilots working together, you know, you want to establish that really starts with, again, like I said earlier, it starts with leadership. It starts with the captain establishing that tone, not just the pilot, but with the crew, the cabin crew, you know, the maintainers, the, the ground crew, yep. everybody, um, you know, establishing that tone of, Hey, look, and most, most guys I fly and gals I fly with now will say this. They're like, Hey, um, you know, if you see something, speak up, um, you know, no matter what it is, don't assume yep. I know everything. Um, and, and that starts with the, establishing the mm -hmm. tone and, he, and again, talk is cheap. So people can say that. But if you point something sure. out to someone, hey, and there's different ways when you talk about, we talk about um, uh, crew resource management, crew resource management communication. Right. So you, talk, you escalate it. Like, say we're approaching a thunderstorm and, hey, Captain, you, um, you see that thunderstorm 100 miles out there? What, what are you thinking? Just kind of, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, we'll be fine. So as we get closer, if they're not turning and, hey, you want me to ask if we can deviate? <laughs> no, we'll be fine. And so you keep escalating it until it gets to the point of, hey, Captain, I recommend or think we should probably deviate. Exactly. You know, right. you kind of escalate that up, uh, if you will. That's one small example of how you handle things like that and how you work together, that peer accountability where you escalate the tone, the con the communication you're using. And the other thing goes back to just the organization. How does the organization set it up? How mm -hmm. does the organization train? I mean, when we train these skill sets you're talking about of how we work together, that's ingrained in our training, how we communicate, how we uh, we're going to handle certain situations, how we divide duties. I mean, all these kind of things go into that. Right. So, so that gets me to crew resource management, which yeah. is another thing that's often being quoted, at least in the airline industry, as being uh, a fundamental step change that had occurred. Can you share a little bit of some of the specifics there? Because that that is an area where there's been huge leaps uh, in terms of how you have that communication front to back end crews and, and the cases where it didn't happen. We, we know right. the other incidences of planes getting shot down, et cetera, because it wasn't right. the right communication. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, my human factors leadership model is I pull a lot of the attributes, I think, of, mm -hmm. of crew resource management. Some people call it team resource management. Um, I pull a lot of aspects from that. So a few key areas of that I think that, that's important is we kind of talked a little bit about communication. Mm -hmm. But more specifically with communication and crew resource management, because communication is a big, big area, right? There's a lot of things that go into right. that. I right. talked about tone, but there's other things such as, you know, briefing. So, you know, what are we expecting to happen? Really briefing is really kind of 
looking into the future, predicting what's mm-hmm. going to happen so we're better prepared. So briefing before we do something, um, uh, something I call uh, C3COM, clear, concise, correct. And clear, concise, correct speaks for itself. But what that really also means is no assumptions. So don't mm-hmm. ever assume anything. Because um, as we know, in the safety world and human factors, assumptions are sure. has always been a uh, something that leads can lead to mishaps. So that's you know one aspect. Another aspect is situational awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do a whole workshop on situational awareness, and it's it's you know situational awareness is just that. It's the idea of all those variables affecting your current state at that time. Everything from the environment that's coming in, mm-hmm. and how do we take all that in? And determine our situation and determine our next course of action, how those are variables. And it's a very, you know, when you're especially working in a complex area, nuclear power, aviation, you know, working on an aircraft carrier, you name it, um, all complex um, environments with many different variables. So how do we take all that in? How do we can, you know, I talk about consistent monitoring, some monitoring everything, you know, we're doing. So we're flying an airplane as a crew and CRM, part of CRM now is dividing duty. So you have one pilot flying and one we call pilot monitoring. Sure. So you're not just over there asleep, just becoming complacent, <laughs> right? You're, you're monitoring it. Yeah. The airplane's on autopilot, but you're monitoring that aircraft to ensure it's like doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Correct. Um, and another way I put that is I call it healthy paranoia, you know, a little <laughs> bit of, you know, kind of little thing in the back of your head, right. That's saying, Hey, what could go wrong right now? You know? Yeah. We're flying along straight and level. 25,000 feet on about mm-hmm. what if I lost the engine route? What would I do? You know, what if this right. happened? I mean, you're not, you, you know, it's not about being paranoid, but it's about, I call it again, healthy paranoid, just kind of an idea of kind of what ifs maintain right. situation awareness. Um, part of uh, CRM I talked about, you know, pilot monitoring, pilot flying is team roles and team roles, well-defined roles, delegation of duties, all that kind of stuff goes into mutual support. Right. So if we have a mit, we have a, critical situation and this like i said earlier human factors looks at the human as as a way to help mitigate human error this is a great example if we have a you know when things go normal 100 percent point a to point b great you know all the procedures automation everything's great but what happens when something doesn't go normal those mm-hmm. non-standard situations that's when the human has to come in that's when the human has to come in and make that human decision making and so right. when all those things that happen, you start having a critical situation. How do you delegate duties? How do you determine if you have a time threat or a no time threat? So in other words, mm-hmm. do we have time to kind of look into this or is our time critical? Do we have a fire in the airplane? We need to land pretty soon. We probably don't have time to look at everything we need to. We need sure. to figure out how to get this airplane on the ground quickly. So, you know, understanding team roles, mutual support, decision-making, that time, no time kind of goes into that. Uh, when we make decisions, understanding the perception before we make the decision. Um, so in other words, you know, we may have a false perception of something. And then if we, we did, we act on that, that's bad. So decision-making goes into that. A lot of that, I talked earlier about decentralized execution. So having that leadership backed autonomy is a big part of, mm-hmm. of a CRM. And then, you know, the final thing I'll tell you about CRM, which part of my human factors leadership model <laughs> is um, SOP standard operating procedure, right? So sure. ensuring we're following because SOPs are critically important, as you know, Mm-hmm. Um, in HRO. And a lot of times I, I love it when I, I bring this up in business, they're like, well, you know, in the military, you guys have standards and because you all, you know, you march in a line and, you know, you do what you're told <laughs> and, and everything's very structured. I'm like, yes, but I'm, I was like, let me, let me, I always give them the example of, you know, flying fighters or even the example of say a special operations team, such as Navy SEALs or something mm-hmm. like that. And I said, 
do you think that when they drop a team in Navy Souls somewhere, they're expecting them to follow orders to a T and know the exact situation they're going to face? And they're like, no. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They want them to have full autonomy, right? right. I mean, and, and, and that goes for almost every military organization. They want us to have that autonomous decision-making ability because we're not robots. They want us out there making it. But in order to do that, standard operating procedures serves as guide rails, right? Mm-hmm. So when you are ma- out there making those autonomous decisions and you're saying, hey, I'm going to make this decision, what you know, and you're at a crossroad, you say, well, here's our standard operating procedures wants us to do this. Okay, so I'm going to make this because that's more in line with, with how our standards are written, how our operating procedures mm-hmm. want us to do. I mean, there are some things that are black and white we have to do, right? Sure. You always turn this switch on, always do that switch off. Don't ever do the opposite. Mm-hmm. But there's always going to be the human factors that comes in there and making those autonomous decisions. So making sure we understand those standard operating procedures and adhering to them is another critical part of that of that CRM. So communications, situation awareness, decision-making, team roles, and uh, – you know, standard operating procedures. And I kind of put training under that as well. Mm. I, I love it. I think you, you brought in a lot of really good examples from uh, the airline industry, from fighting for, for, from being a fighter pilot. Uh, and really, I think this is, this is the next leap in terms of safety it is getting to that point where you've got a just culture where people are comfortable, feel safe, raising issues, escalating issues. You've got the right level of support and we're looking at the system, the culture, uh, trying to prevent things. So, so really appreciate you uh, jumping in, sharing your insights, your ideas, uh, and and uh, all your wisdom from all your experience. Well, I appreciate it, Eric. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, always good. You're right. And, and I think if I could sum it up, I think everything I talk about, the way I look at it as, as human factors is, is really it's looking at it from a systems-based approach, like you said. Yeah. So it's it's not about, I mean, you're never going to get rid of human error um, as long as we have humans involved in it. The other example I'll kind of leave you with is people say, well, what about, you know, as robots, computers come more and more and we start seeing more <laughs> automation. Okay, well, great. But I said, here's the thing, you know, someone designs that automation. Someone yeah, exactly. Probably installs that automation. Someone has to work on and maintain that automation. Um, someone designs the software. I mean, there's always going to be a human in the chain somewhere. Exactly. Um, so that, you know, it's all about a systems-based approach. And how we fix the system versus that blame and train approach, which, as we found over the years, really um, doesn't get the results we want. Yeah, you bring an interesting point, because even if you think about MCAS, the whole issue on the 737 MAX, um, even if you go Airbus, and there was an issue, I think it was a Paris Air Show where the the system thought it had landed, but it hadn't landed and went into reverse. that's a technology, that's a system, but that's designed by a human that can still make a mistake in right. designing it. Exactly. And, and a lot of times we look at that in terms of, well, um, you know, the engineers may say, well, they could have just done this and that would have happened. Well, okay, maybe. But, you know, do you really consider um, in a situation what the human actually sees? You know, you have to process that, how much time that takes to go through, what are they mm-hmm. looking at? And there's so many things that go into that. So <laughs> it, you're, but you're exactly right. And those are great examples. Right. Well, thank you so much uh, for for joining in, Brandon. Uh, and if somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, how can they do that? Absolutely. Well, uh, to see some more of my info, what we talked about, you go to my website, uh, which is leadtac.com, and that is L-E-A-D-T-A-C.com, lead-tac.com. Um, plenty of material there. And also my email address, B as in Bravo, B Williams 
at lead-tac.com. Um, and there's also a way to contact me on my website. Uh, but absolutely feel free to reach out more info or, or anything else for sure. Excellent. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.